I will never forget the first time that I questioned God's character. I did. And what happened was um, I had a 20-year-old cousin named Trent that was older than me, and I looked up to him um, with like everything. He was like a hero to me. And he was in college at the time. He was on a football scholarship. He had this beautiful girlfriend. He loved Jesus. And I just, he had the whole world in front of him. And there I sat in a church at his funeral. What happened was earlier in the week, we'd gone to visit him and he had drowned tragically in this really freak accident at a lake and I was in this church and there was a cross at the front and I began asking myself this question for the very first time, God, if you're so good, I'm looking at all the pain and everyone's crying and I'm just devastated, I'm God, how could you, being so good, allow something so horrific? And this is the question, right? How could a good God Allow not just that, but how could he allow so much pain and suffering in our world? And my guess is there are some of you today, this is your question for God. In fact, studies say that this is the number one question that people want an, a- an answer on. Uh, in fact, uh, there, there's a man named Bart Ehrman. He was a pastor at one time of a church. Now he's a very famous atheist and professor at the University of North Carolina. He actually teaches a class on why you can't really trust God And I just want you to hear directly from him how he would phrase his dilemma. He said this, if there's an all-powerful and loving God in this world, why is there so much excruciating pain and unspeakable suffering? The problem of suffering has haunted me for a very long time. It's what led me to question my faith when I was older, and ultimately, it's the reason I lost my faith. There may not be another question in our world today that has caused more people to deconstruct their faith, to doubt their faith, and for some people, like Bart, to even walk away from their faith. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna hit this question head on. Because how many of you know that if you don't answer this question, if you don't really wrestle it to the ground, you really won't have a strong foundation in your faith. It'll be hard to reconstruct your faith because why? There is a 100% chance in your life and mine we're gonna hit something painful and horrific in life. Is that fair? This happens to everybody. Jesus didn't shy away from this. Jesus said this in, in John 16. He said, in this world, you what? You will have trouble. Like, I love Jesus' realism. He's not like pie in the sky. Like, this, this world's gonna be perfect for you. No, for every single person, we're gonna experience pain, which is, Jesus said it, but here's our problem. We would say this. Yeah, but if I was Jesus, if I was God, I would run this world a whole lot different when it came to pain and suffering, right? I mean, if you were God, you wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people, right? We do it totally differently. In fact, uh, I was reading this article in the New York Times recently. This was written a little while ago, but they ran an article about a Czech woman named Vers Sermik, and she discovered that her husband was having an affair, which is one of the most painful things you can go through in life, and she came to the conclusion that she, she needed to take her life, and so she climbed to the third story of the building that she was living in, and she jumped. But the New York Times um, reported that when she jumped, she only experienced minor injuries, and the reason why is because unbeknownst to her, her husband was walking on the street below, and when she jumped, she fell on top of her husband, she killed her husband and saved herself, right? <laughs> And you're like, that's what I'm talking about. 
That's what I'm talking about. If I was God, that's what I would do. Right? If you're, if you're mean, if you're a bad person, lightning, or at least a check woman falls on you, you know, like you're done. But good people, I mean, come on, come on. Good people, like I wouldn't allow the bad things to happen to good people. Good people's kids would always be safe. You know what? Faithful spouses would have fairy tale marriages. And good parents wouldn't get cancer. And all the childhood and sexual abuse in this world and the, the hunger and the, the people suffering, I'd eradicate that tomorrow. And at least I'd let the Cardinals win a Super Bowl one time, like recently. Come on. Like if, if God was good, that's what he should do. At least that's how I would run the world, world right? The question is, is the pain and suffering and evil we see around us, is that a reason to not believe in God, that there is a God? Does it mean God is not good? Or does it mean God just doesn't even care? Now, before I answer this question today, I wanna say two things. And, and please just hear my heart as a pastor on this. Number one is, I understand this is a very personal topic. Because there's some of you here today, right now, that you've lost a child, you've just recently lost a loved one, and it was, it was just horrific. Some of you got that note from a spouse that said, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back, and it's just been so, it's been so heartbreaking ever since. Many of you today, you're a first responder, you are part of the armed forces, and you would say this, you have seen things in this world that you cannot reconcile with a good God. So I just wanna acknowledge up front that there's, there is a lot of pain, and this is a very personal topic for some of you. And because of that, the second thing I want you to know is I don't have some easy one-liner glib answer for you. If, if that was the case, we wouldn't even be talking about this. But I do have a message from a God that I believe loves you more than you could ever imagine. And I'm just gonna ask you, no matter what you believe on this topic, I'm gonna ask you to lean in today with an open heart and an open mind because I believe God wants to speak to someone here today. But here's my request of you. I have a request of you. I need you to put your thinking cap on. Is that fair? I want you to go deep with me today and I'm gonna take you deep because I don't know any other way to do it. Here's why. Because a deep question demands deep thinking. And so I'm gonna take you deep. I'm gonna ask you to go deep with me, not just to lead with the emotion on this topic, but we're gonna have to think deeply on this. Is that fair on this topic? All right, so before I get too deep with you, I'm gonna take you to Psalm 23, and here's why. It was written by a man after God's own heart, David. It's one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, and I think it describes the tension that so many of us feel on this topic. Listen to what David said. He said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, lies me, he leads me to, beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And we're all looking at that going like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of God I want. Green pastures, quiet waters, resort in Maui, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but watch the hard turn David takes. I mean, this is a hard turn in verse four. That was the first three verses. Verse four, David says this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil, for you are what? 
with me. And it's kind of like, no, 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 no. Let's go back to the green pasture thing for a second. If God was with me and he was good, I wouldn't be in a dark valley, right? And then David ends Psalm 23 in verse six saying this, and just let this sink in today. Surely your goodness and love follow me all the days of my life. And there's those two words, God's good and God's loving, and that follows me every single day of my life, even in green pastures and in the darkest valleys. Think about that. God, you are so good and loving in green pastures, and when I am in the darkest pain of my life, and we want to push back and go, no, 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 if God was good, I'd just have green pastures. We wouldn't have all this darkness and evil in this world. How do you reconcile a good God allowing so much pain and suffering? You ready to go deep? I'm going to ask you to take notes today if, if that's something that you do. Otherwise, I'm going to ask you to watch this message again because we are going to go deep. I have three main points for you. And it starts here. If you really want to understand whose God is on this topic, it starts with one word, and that is the word love. In fact, I would say this. If there wasn't love, like we didn't believe in love, we didn't want to experience love, and we didn't even care if God was loving, we wouldn't be talking about this topic. Because you would have no one to love, and if God isn't love, we wouldn't even care. But the first point I want you to understand is this. According to scripture, love is who God is. And it also describes our deepest desire in life. In other words, no word in entire humanity and in all of scripture more describes God than love. It's who he is. Watch 1 John 4, 8, so clear. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because say this out loud, the bold. God is love. Say it one more time. God is love. That's who God is. In fact, think about this. Why would God create us humanity in the first place? Like, why would he do it? God created us because he loves us. He wanted someone to love and he wanted someone to have a relationship with. It's who God is. It's why he created us in the first, first place. And not only that, Love also describes your greatest desire, my greatest desire in life. Genesis says that we were created in the image of God, which means we have this built-in natural design to want to love as well. And if you think about this deeply, just think about your life. From the moment you were born, you wanted something or someone to love. You wanted the love of a mom or a dad so desperately, and some of you got it, and some of you didn't, and it was heartbreaking. And then beyond that, at some point in your life, right, what happened? Around the ages of middle school or high school, what happened? You caught the eye of a boy or a girl. Woo, I want that. I want to love that, and I want them to love me back. We, we started to pursue romance and a romantic relationship, and we, we wanted love. Why go to all the trouble? Because it's trouble sometimes, right? Amen? Yeah. Even some of you who've given up on all romantic relationships, do you know you're still seeking love somewhere? In, in work or in a family member or maybe a child or some of you are even seeking love in a pet. Even a pet that I've tried to tell you over and over again, if you didn't feed them for a couple days, we'll probably scratch your eye out. But you keep trying, man. I mean, you know, it's like, whatever. Maybe, hey, 
stay with me, maybe the deepest and greatest example that we were designed in the image of God to love, and you have to think about this deeply, for those of you that are parents, why on earth did you wanna have kids? Why did you, and even if you're not a parent, why would you wanna have kids someday? You ever thought about this? Do you understand the moment you have a child for the first 18 months, and some of you for the first 30 years or maybe a lifetime, all they do is take from you? <laughs> I mean, they just take, feed me, change me, give me, give me, give me, give me. The moment you have a child, you develop to take her. <laughs> you did. And you know what everyone here who has a child would say? The moment I had that child, they had done jack for me. <laughs> jack for me in the hospital room. You looked at that child, and I did it too. And I had a love for that child I couldn't even describe, and they have done nothing for me. Why? Because you are designed in the image of God between a man and a woman to create something to love just like God created you to love and have a relationship. And what is your deepest desire for your kids? Those of you who are parents, what are your deepest desires for your kids? I know what mine is. I want every one of my kids to know your dad loves you and I want them to love me back. But it's a great risk, right? It's a great risk because some of you have a two-year-old or a teenager or a young adult and you'd say this, Ashley, I don't know if they're ever gonna love me back. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen because it's a risk. Even when you got married or you got into a committed relationship, you're taking a massive risk. Why? Because that person can choose to love you and they can choose not to love you. It's why you, when you got married, most of us, when we did our vows, you said what? For better or for worse. Why did you say that? <laughs> what do you mean for better, for worse? This is like the most serious part in a, in a marriage ceremony, right? You get to, you know, there's kind of some fun and then you get to this place like, we're gonna do the vows. I take you to be my wedded husband, my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. And then, and then you say, I was doing a wedding one time, and this is so funny. I, got, I was doing a wedding for this couple, and I got to this part, for better or for worse, and I, you know, I said it to the, the, the you know, who was gonna be the husband, and then I turned to the bride, and I looked at her, and I said, for better or for worse, and she said back this, for better. <laughs> and then she just stopped. The whole crowd was like, ooh, we're gonna have some problems here. And then she, then she finished, she goes, okay, for worse too. And everyone started laughing, but. Why did we say for better or for worse? Because love is always a risk. It's the risk that someone can choose you and it's the risk that they cannot choose you. That's the power. So point one is God is love and it's also our deepest desire in life. But listen to the point number two. Love does not exist without freedom. The free will to accept or reject someone. I mean, just think about the power of love for a second. The power of love is someone choosing you, which means they can also unchoose you. With my wife, Jamie, and I've been married for, for 22 years now, and I love this woman with everything inside of me, and I think most days she loves me. I think so. But I don't want Jamie to have to love me. I don't want her to be forced to love me. I mean, if tomorrow they could develop a computer chip and I could insert it in Jamie's brain and she had to love me and do whatever I said. I mean, if I got home and she was like, 
Hello, honey, I love you. What is your greatest wish today? I will do it, anything, what do you want? If she was a robot, how many guys would take that option? Take the, ro don't raise your hand, don't, right. that was a trick question, okay? I'm not thinking about that, I'm like, that could be fun for a couple days, right? There's been movies made about this. Step for wives and others, it always ends in disaster, why? You can't love a robot. You can't. The power is in choice. Jamie decided to choose the guy with the girl's name who on our first date forgot his wallet. <laughs> Out of four billion men in the planet, she chose me. That's the power. But there has to be choice, and guess what? God is love, and he wanted you to have the ability to experience love and also love him, just like any good father would. would. He's not gonna force you. So he created humanity, listen, with something called free will. This is what free will is. Free will is the capacity to choose between different possible courses of action unimpeded. From the opening pages of scripture, we see this. In Genesis chapter two, what does it say? It says, and the Lord commanded man, this is Adam and Eve, he said this, you are free. You have freedom to choose any of the fruit. You can eat any of the fruit. And we're like, well, God should have made them. No choice. No, God loved them so much he gave them freedom. And some of us are thinking, well, that's kind of dumb. God should have just made us love him. He should have forced it. But you have to think about this. Without freedom to choose, love can't exist. It's impossible. And because God is love, to not grant humankind freedom would go against his very nature since God is love. Did you know the greatest things about love in your life are the ability for someone to choose you? When you have a, a child or someone run up and just hug you, it wouldn't mean anything if they were forced to do it. Ladies, when he got down on one knee and he said, will you? And it was one of the greatest days of your life the power in that is he was choosing you and he could have chose somebody else. It's also when, why in divorce it's so painful when someone unchooses you. But love requires freedom. That's the whole point. So God is love. Point number two is love requires freedom, the free will to choose or not to choose. And you're, you're smart people. You can kind of see what's happening with number three here. Watch number three. God's gift of free will results in a world of both goodness and pain. Goodness and pain. Green pastures and darkest valleys. And before we get too mad at God and we say, God, all the pain and evil and suffering in the world is on you, can we just admit that pain and suffering can come from many different places since we have the freedom to choose? We know we have freedom. We're not... God's granted us the freedom. So where does pain and suffering come from? Let me just tell you a few reasons. Some pain and suffering comes from the result of our own bad choices and sin. Can we just admit that? I mean, if you smoke all the time and you drink like a fish and then you eat horribly, I mean, you're gonna have health problems. If you neglect your marriage, it will fall apart. I mean, even when we look at pictures of starving kids and we think, how could a good God allow that? 
Do we have to put that all on God? When today, you look this up for yourself, according to the World Health Organization, we have enough food in the world today to feed every man, woman, and child every single day and for every person on earth to have leftovers? What is the issue? The issue is many of us are selfish and we're keeping more than we need. It's our free will. We're doing it. It's not just our own choices, though. This, this is the hard one for a lot of us. Sometimes our pain and suffering is the result of other people's bad choices and their sin. And this is where, for some of you, your greatest pain is the neglect you had as a child because your, your parent didn't love you the way they should have. Some of you were abused by someone that should have loved you, not hurt you. The affair that happened, the drunk driver that made a terrible decision and took someone's life, the senseless shootings that happen all across our world. We live in a world where people make terrible, sinful decisions every single day. But then we also have to admit that when it comes to pain and suffering, most of the time it's the result of a broken and sinful world. See, when sin entered this world, the book of Romans tells us that what happened was when sin entered this world, it affected our entire planet. It affected the whole world. And now we have a world of brokenness. We have a world of sickness. We have a world of natural disasters that happen. And it happened because when we sinned, when, when mankind sinned, we entered brokenness into our world. And God said in the Garden of Eden, he didn't want it that way. It was designed to be a perfect place, but our sin has, has entered this world and now it's broken. And we look at all that and we see you know, the, the, the pain and suffering that happens from our choices and the choices of others and the choices of you know, the, the realities of a broken world. And we just want to look at God and go, but just fix it. Like, just get rid of it. Every time a good person slips and falls, turn the ground into jello and catch them. And every time I pull out in front of, of a car and there's maybe a drunk driver, like, yank my car back. Every time I decide to eat a triple cheeseburger and I shouldn't, turn it magically into broccoli when it goes into my mouth and take it out. <laughs> like we want to look at God and it just sounds nice to live in a world that way, but, but unknowingly, unknowingly we're asking for a world that is inhumane and where love does not exist. In fact, I could summarize this message this way. There is no love without freedom, and there is no freedom without pain. Let me say it again. There's no love without freedom, and there's no freedom without the possibility of pain. And the moment we tell God, God, I will not trust you, I will not say that you are good, I won't even believe in you until you get rid of all the pain and suffering in this world. Does God have the power to do that tomorrow? Of course he does but you need to understand theologically what you're asking God to do. God could get rid of all the pain in the world tomorrow, but to do that, he would have to get rid of all freedom. And if he got rid of all freedom, you do not have any love, which goes against his very nature. In other words, I put it this way, remove freedom and you may eliminate pain, but you eradicate love. So the existence of pain and suffering doesn't disprove that God is loving, it actually proves he is love. Because God chose to limit his power to enable us to have love. And remember, our time on earth is but a mist, but a blip. 
And one day there will be a day in heaven for those that choose God where there will be no tears, there will be no suffering anymore. But on this earth, God wants us to have the ability of having love and loving him and choosing him and experiencing love, which is what he wants and what we actually want. That's pretty heady, isn't it? You may have to think about that a little bit. And some of you are going like, well, yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with all that. Theology. But it doesn't help you very much, does it? Because for some of us, all the theology in the world can't take away the reality of the pain we're experiencing right now. But can I just ask, can't there be a deeper meaning to our pain? In all of God's goodness, in all of his divine nature, in things we can't see and quite understand, could there be a deeper purpose to the pain we experience in this very temporary life? I was reading the story of Tony Dungy years ago, and I didn't realize this, you may not either. He has a son, and one of his sons, his name is Jordan, he, he suffers from one of the most rare disorders on earth. There's only been 60 confirmed cases in the United States over the history. There's probably only two or three people in the United States that have this right now. And Tony Junji's son is, is one of them. Jordan suffers from what's called SEPA. It stands for congenital insensitivity to pain. It is this rare disorder where someone's born without the receptors and conductors in their body to actually ever feel or experience any pain at all. No pain. Tony says, that sounds awesome on the surface. He says, I can tell you as a dad, I promise you it's not. In fact, kids that are born with SEPA, the average lifespan is only three years. They die within three years. Why? Because when you can't feel or experience pain, you don't deal with things in your life that need to be dealt with. Tony says, when, when his son, his son will just walk up to the stove and maybe want to grab cookies and he'll just stick his stand, hand right on the, a hot stove and he'll burn himself to the point where his life is potentially in danger and he won't even know. So his other kids will be sliding down the slide. His son will jump off the top, break his bones, hurt himself to a point where he doesn't even know. And Tony began to describe, he says, when my other kids get hurt, they run to their father's arms and I can help them. But Jordan doesn't do that. When he gets hurt, he just keeps running. He doesn't come to his dad. And what happens is over time, Tony knows that if, if he's hurt, if he experiences pain, if he doesn't deal with it, it's going to kill him. One mom whose daughter had SEPA, she said this. She said, every night, I would lay at my daughter's bedside. I'd pray one prayer for her. God, please, please help my daughter feel pain. Help her to feel pain. Could God be using pain for a greater purpose at times? So that instead of running away from him, we run to a father that can deal with our issues and our hurts. And he can be the one person in this world that can comfort you and give you peace and hope again. You know what some of you would say today? Some of you would say this, you're in church today. 
you came back to faith, you found God, you began to rebuild your faith, and the reason why is you went something, through something really, really hard, and it caused you to run to your Father God, not away from Him. But that's not everyone's story, is it? Some of us, our pain has caused us to run away from God. And we wanna ignore him or say that he's not good because of it. And someone's here today to hear this one thing. God has you here to hear this and it's this. Pain isn't a signal to run away from God. It's your cue to run towards him. You cannot run away from your father who loves you and experience to find, and hope to find peace or hope on this earth. It's your cue to run towards him. And I wanna show you the story of someone in our church, Lauren, who had every right to run from God. Her story is admittedly a painful one to listen to, but it's her story, and I think God wants to use it to impact someone here today. Watch this. It was November 2019, the day after Thanksgiving, I was gonna be flying out to Florida and the girls were gonna be going with their dad and they were gonna spend the rest of the weekend with their dad's side of the family to celebrate Thanksgiving. On Friday, I left really early in the morning on a plane and I was going to Florida. I was there for maybe an hour and my phone rang and um, it was a girl's dad. Um, he sounded like he was crying. Uh, he said that the girls were in the truck and, it, and I think he told me it tipped over or they all fell out and they were in the water. And he just kept saying that they were all gone and that he couldn't find them. So I just told them, I said, do everything you can and find them. And at that moment, I knew something was really wrong, but I didn't really know really any details. Just that all my kids were missing somewhere in a body of water. I hung up and ultimately, I think I just sat there just assuming that all of the girls had drowned and I was like 1800 miles away and there was nothing I could do As far as details go, I still had no details or any more information. I just knew that I officially had lost a child. I questioned, like, why did Austin die and the other two survive? I was really in just a place where I needed God more than anything. But I wasn't really sure what's God's purpose if all this horrible stuff was happening to someone who, like, really trusted in the Lord. I didn't, um, I didn't ever 
feel like there was no God, but I was mad. I struggled with that anger pretty intensely for several months. And I knew that I couldn't sit in that anger because it was like destroying me, like from the inside out. It was just like eating me up. I think before, um, I'm not proud to say this, he was like an accessory. And it was just like, oh yeah, God's there when I need him. And when you get knocked down that hard and you can't really do anything on your own anymore and you truly surrender and just say, God, I can't do this without you. Like, I now look at God as the only way to get through every day. Sawyer and Austin are twins, and it's kind of a blessing and a curse. I get to look at Sawyer every day, and she reminds me of her twin sister. And I have this little mirror of what Austin's life may have looked like. For now, I have to learn how to do life without her. But I don't think on the side of heaven I'll ever understand why Austin was the one. As you can see with all the tears, I it doesn't really get easier. But I have learned to rely on Christ so much more now. I'm confident in my faith. I speak more freely to other people about my faith. I'm not ever ashamed to talk to people about how much I love God and that I trust Him. There's been really low moments where I'm on the struggle bus big time and I've literally called out to God out loud saying, please show me you are who you say you are. And I genuinely feel like he's responded. There's been multiple occasions where I'm just, I get smacked in the face and reminded that like, I have not been alone ever in this whole journey. That doesn't mean it's not, it's not hard, but I've got someone walking it with me. Trusting your promise
Listening to Lauren's story, I just love her raw honesty. She says, it's not that the pain has all gone away, but in all the unsettling, in all the uncertainty. Did you hear her words? I now have someone walking with me. It's God. Let me take you back to Psalm 23. David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I love the word through because it it means that we want God to take us around the valley, avoid the valley. But in the valleys of this life, the darkest valleys, there's a way to get through them, to get through to the other side, to have hope and peace and a bright future again. And Lauren's story is so evident that she's run to God, not away from him. I watched her story and I thought, you know, how easy would it be for someone to think like, how dare God? How dare God take an innocent child? He's up in heaven. What does he know about pain and loss? Well, God knows a lot. He sent his son Jesus to hang on a cross with nails in his hands and feet to die the most brutal, painful death you can imagine for you and for me. God knows your pain. He identifies with your pain. So when you're in a dark valley, God isn't just with you. He brings his pain and empathy with him so he can comfort you. And that's why my greatest fear in this message is for someone here today that you're in pain and that you run from God. Did you know God is the one person that can comfort you beyond anything else this world has to offer? So let me say it again. Pain isn't a signal to run from God. Come on. It's your cue to run towards him. And I'm just gonna call someone out here today that in the midst of your pain, listen, run towards God. And we're a church that's here to help. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for the man or woman or teenager or child here today that, man, they're going through some deep pain. And there's something inside of them that wants to say, see, God isn't good. Can't turn to him. And Father, I pray that you would bind those lies from them today 
and give them the courage and the peace and the confidence that they can run towards a father with open arms that can comfort them no matter what they're going through and give them peace for their future. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, CCV, I've loved this Reconstruction series so far. It's just getting started. Every week is gonna be powerful. Hope you'll invite a friend with you next weekend. Until then, run towards God. Have a great week, CCV.